Shalom Mishpokah. Welcome to this week's Kadiba Talk, Part 1, Congregational Organization and Structure. Over time, I believe God has given us clear guidance and structure regarding a healthy, vibrant, successful, and growing Messianic congregation, which the reality is we are to be the vehicle of his outpouring, not just us, but the entire Messianic movement, every Messianic congregation. It's where God is going. It's the future. It's the preparation for the return of the king and his kingdom upon this earth. And as a congregation, we are based upon obedient submission to all of Adonai's words, his mitzvahs, his commands. This halakha must be merged with a proper and healthy congregational kehelet order and structure. God is a God of order, not confusion and disorder. As stated in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion. Akadastasia, which is instability, a state of disorder, disturbance, confusion, commotion, or tumult. For God is not a God of confusion, but shalom. And this is that word that we find in Ephesians 2 for the one new man, that shalom in Greek is irene, which means a state of national tranquility. Peace, stability, quietness, rest, security, safety, harmony, peace between individuals. So God is not a God of confusion, but of shalom, as in all the congregations of God's people. So God has established a metric of unity, tranquility, rest, quietness, security, safety, harmony, and peace. Any discord, divisiveness, or confusion within a congregation is not from God. This is a foundational metric within any congregation. There must be true biblical leadership that prevents and stops the Jezebel, divisiveness, para-congregational organizations, confusion, disorder, and commotions. And I want to caveat here that there must be one leader in the congregation. I've heard over the years various experiments where there was a a pastor who took care of the needs of the congregation, there was a rabbi who spoke the word, then there was a business pastor. These never end well. I've never seen one of these organizations established like this succeed. There must be a leader in the congregation, and that's the driving force behind it. It must be biblical authority, it must be accountable, but there can only be one leader. Now, I'm not discussing or advocating, nor do I practice draconian, Machiavellian, micromanaged type leadership. What I'm talking about is true Torah-based scriptural congregational leadership that's one of order and shalom, as mentioned in 1 Corinthians 14.33. There's not too much of this in practice within the greater body of Messiah today, either in Messianic congregations or in churches. Spiritual anarchy, division, disloyalty, dysfunction, and apostasy seems to be the norm these days. Here's a fundamental understanding that we're going to pick apart in this talk this week and next week. The power of the congregate lies in the Kehelet, the congregation. The power of the congregation, the Kehelet, is in the congregate. Read what the author of Hebrews states in Hebrews 10, verses 24 through 26, and let us keep paying attention to one another in order to spur each other on to love and good deeds. So we're not only to be aware of each other in the body, but we're to pay attention to our brothers, to our sisters, to one another in order to spur each other on to love and to good deeds. That means encourage, to edify, to seek to have this love and good deeds in all of us. Verse 25, not neglecting our own congregational meetings as some have made a practice of doing, but rather encouraging each other. Let us do this all the more as you see the day approaching. As we've been saying for years now, 2017 and Yom Teruah, 
We had the Revelation 12, 1 and 2 sign, which I believe is the sign of the Son of Man. So we know that this day is fast approaching, the great and terrible day of the Lord. The birth pangs are already happening. So now, more than ever, we're not to neglect the congregational meetings, um, and we're to encourage each other all the more as we see the day approaching. But through offense, and I'm going to expound on this a little bit later, through offense, shame, rejection, and various other human emotions, the enemy has effectively penetrated our congregational defenses. What the enemy has fundamentally splintered the unity and cohesive of the congregation, rendering it weak, ineffective, and fractured. We have a profound example of this in the people of Israel preparing the temple for the Lord. In 1 Chronicles 29, starting at verse 7, they gave for the service of the house of God 165 tons of gold, 330 tons of silver, 594 tons of bronze, 3,300 tons of iron. Those who had precious stones, verse 8, gave them to the storehouse of the house of Adonai, supervised by Yechel the Gershuni. Verse 9, the people were filled with joy because they had given willingly, wholeheartedly they had given willingly to Adonai, and David the king too was completely filled with joy. So as we saw the people willingly give to Moses to build the tabernacle, we see this played out again in 1 Chronicles 29 in the Davidic kingdom in preparation for what would become known as Solomon's temple. But I want to break this down a little bit. The people gave 165 tons of gold. That's 32,000 ounces in a ton. We think of gold in, in ounces. This is 165 tons, 32,000 ounces in a ton. So 165 tons of gold is $6 billion, $652,800,000 as of this past week. Now, these prices are always changing, and uh, lately the prices have been going up, so it's probably worth more than that. 330 tons of silver at $17 an ounce, it's $179,520,000. Bronze, 2,860 a ton, so 594 tons is $1,698,840. Iron, $70 per ton, $231,000. So the total contributions by the people alone $66,709,449,840 in today's current currency. These are the unified contributions of all the people. And that's not even t- talking about the precious stones. That would be too hard to calculate. And so what could two to three people give? Very little, as much as they could. While everyone working together in harmony, willingly and joyfully gave from what they had. And as we know, Solomon's temple, this became one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And what did King David say about this? In First Chronicles 29, starting at verse 16, Adonai, our God, all these supplies that we have prepared in order to build you a house for your holy name come from your own hand. All of it is already yours. Verse 17, I know also, my God, that you test Bahan to examine, try, prove, test, scrutinize, to investigate. You test the heart. You scrutinize the heart. You investigate the heart and take pleasure in integrity. As for myself, I've given all these things willingly in the integrity of my heart. And now with joy, I have seen your people who are present here give willingly to you. Adonai, God of Avram, Yisach, and Yisrael, our ancestors, guard forever the inclinations of the thoughts and the hearts and of your people. Direct their hearts to you and give to Shlomo, my son, wholeheartedness to obey your mitzvahs, instructions, and rules, 
to do all these things and to build the palace for which I have made provision. This is what people don't comprehend or understand today regarding tithing, offerings, toda and shalemim offerings. God is testing you. He's examining, testing, scrutinizing your heart. All that you do have, it's all God's anyways. You're not taking it with you when you leave. In Luke 12, starting at verse 15, then to the people he said, be careful to guard against all forms of greed because even if someone is rich, his life does not consist in what he owns. Verse 16, and he gave them this illustration. There was a man whose land was very productive. Verse 17, he debated with himself, what should I do? I haven't enough room for all my crops. Verse 18, then he said, this is what I will do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and I'll store all my wheat and other goods there. Verse 19, then I'll say to myself, you're a lucky man. You have a big supply of goods laid up that will last many years. Start taking it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night you will die. And the things you are prepared, whose will they be? Verse 21, that's how it is with anyone who stores up wealth for himself without being rich. Pluteo in the Greek, which means to richly furnish, to be rich, to richly supply, to be affluent in resources so that one can give blessings towards God. So he's saying, this is the parable that Yeshua is sharing. Uh, what good is it for people who store up wells for themselves and without being rich towards God? Now, this isn't a tithing Kadima talk. However, it is foundational to a congregational order. I'm often asked by congregates, when are we going to have our own building? The answer is when we start doing what Israel did in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 7. The, the sad fact is less than half the congregation actually tithes that alone give above and beyond from their storehouses to richly furnish, supply, and bless God with all that's needed to purchase property and build a building. So in true Socratic method, I answered the question with a question uh, to the Kehele. When are we going to build a building? When everything we need to move forward is already here, we're just not listening obediently to God and acting on it. This record of donations doesn't include the outside donations of the giant redwood cedars from King Hiram or the funds sent by other nations paying honor and tribute to King David. Years ago, as we were on a tour in Israel, our bus pulled into the city of Ariel in northern Israel. We drove past a brand new $26 million community center paid for by Christians, I'm not going to name the organization, with well-known pastor's name inscribed on the building. Like King Saul is like making an idol. From an organization you're all familiar with, if I said the name, that's anti-Messianic. They only partner with Orthodox Israel. A local Israeli city council member from Ariel boarded our bus and told us we weren't welcome, that we couldn't step one foot inside this new complex because we were Messianic Jews. Really? Outright discrimination and persecution paid for by an uneducated and unaware Christians who, without doing their research, have given millions upon millions, which results in direct discrimination against their fellow believers, believers in Messiah. And this organization won't share Yeshua with the Jewish people. They say our job is only to love them. Where is that in Torah and Scripture? Matter of fact, Paul said in, in Romans 1 uh, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's God's plan of salvation and to those who believe, to the Jew first. And so we're commanded to bring the good news of Messiah Yeshua to our people. We don't need more buildings. What we need is our Messiah. Here's the biblical model. Uh, and it's a teaching not being revealed in contemporary churches today. Romans 15, starting at verse 26 and 27, for Macedonia and Achaia thought it would be good to make some contribution to the poor among God's people in Jerusalem. Verse 27, they were pleased to do it, but the fact is that they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared with the Jews in spiritual matters, then the Gentiles clearly have a duty to help the Jews in material matters. 
for every church, every pastor who joins and listens with us to help us walk out the one new man of Ephesians 2, come alongside us and help us build up the Messianic community. It's already happened before in Luke 7, verses 1 through 5. When Yeshua had finished speaking to the people, he went back to Kfar Nachum, a Roman army officer there, had a servant he regarded highly who was sick to the point of death. Verse 3, hearing about Yeshua, the officer sent some Jewish elders to him with the request that he come and heal his servant. They came to Yeshua and pleaded earnestly with him. He really deserves to have you do this, for he loves our people. In fact, he built the synagogue for us. Listen, there's safety and power in the unity and cohesiveness of the greater body when we fight, when we pray, when we come together as one congregation, one kehela, one new man. Leviticus 26, verse 8 says, Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand. Your enemies will fall before your sword. What could we do if we fully unified, if the church came alongside and, and stood with Messianic Israel? Israel would be provoked to jealousy, a Romans 11 moment. We'd build a multi-million dollar Messianic centers in Jerusalem offering aid, free medical, free dental. We'd build a Holocaust survivor center in a retreat. We'd purchase ambulances for Magan David, Israel's Red Cross. We'd purchase advanced tactical gear for the IDF. We, a unified Jew and Gentile Messianic believer, should be the largest contributor to Israel. All donations should go through Messianic organizations. We give tens of thousands of dollars to Messianic Israel. Every one of you, it's our largest tithe of support as a congregation, but I tell you right now, it should be millions. We should be building one of the most beautiful Messianic structures in the world, complete with a Messianic JCC. We need to start Messianic Jewish schools and after-school Messianic yeshiva, as well as community resources for aid, a heart and structure of shelters in case of emergency. The community shouldn't be going to the government. The community should be coming to us. This then leads us into biblical order. Hebrews 13, verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch. I group neo, which means sleepless. They keep awake. They watch to be circumspect, attentive. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your lives as people who have to render an account. So make it a task of joy for them, not one of groaning, for that is of no advantage to you. To keep watch in the Hebrew is safah, to look out or about, to keep watch, to watch closely, to observe. The root word is mishmar, which means guard, guard post, act of guarding, observances. The root word of mishmar is that word we talk about often, shamar, which is to keep, guard, observe. As a congregational rabbi, the shepherd, I'm to watch, guard, preserve, and protect every congregate. The congregate and the kehela, the congregational safety, security, well-being, depends upon the alertness and attentiveness of the watchman, the rabbi, the leader. We are to intently watch, scan, be attentive, lose sleep, often observe, guard, watch closely for the earliest possible glimpse of an enemy or an approaching threat. It is critical that the people and the Kehelet be warned as soon as possible when danger looms. I cannot override your free will. I can take you to green pastures and calm water, but I can't make you eat and drink it. But I will immediately confront sin, disorder, divisiveness, and danger either from you or before you. As a watchman, I can only present the danger and sound that alarm. What do you do with it after that? That's your issue. So as Messianic leaders, as congregational leaders, you have to be attentive, always on the lookout for danger. You have to be the sheepdog among the sheep. Many people won't receive or accept correction and or discipline, which isn't mature in Yeshua or healthy for the congregation. Nothing happens by accident or hapstance. Hebrews 12, verses 6 through 11 
For Adonai disciplines those he loves and whips everyone he accepts as a son. Regard your endurance as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son goes undisciplined by his father? All legitimate sons undergo discipline. So if you don't, you're a mamzer and not a son. Furthermore, we had physical fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. How much more should we submit to our spiritual father and live? For they disciplined us only for a short time and only as best they could. But he disciplines us in a way that provides genuine benefit to teach us and enables us to share in his holiness. Now all discipline, while it is happening, does indeed seem painful, not enjoyable. But for those who have been trained by it, it later produces its peaceful fruit, which is righteousness. Listen, this is a profound and powerful foundation for every congregate and leader. Pride, haughtiness, and spiritual infection prevents correction and discipline. I think this is easier for prior military. We're kind of used to it. Most people hate confrontation and discipline, yet without it, there's no growth and there won't be an outpouring. For a congregation to be healthy, strong, and performing biblical as ordained by God requires biblical leadership that will quickly deal with issues, divisive people, and any infections or cancers that appear within the body. Festering issues turn into festering divisions and weak congregations that hinder or even remove the presence of God. We've got several profound examples that we're going to walk through in Scripture. The first is the high priest, Eli. In 1 Samuel 2, verses 22 through 23, when Eli was very old, he heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and that they were having sex with the women during service at the door of the tent of meeting. He asked them, why are you doing things like this? I'm hearing bad reports about you from all these people. Adonai's issue with Eli wasn't that his sons were imperfect, that they were sinful and wicked. It's that he refused to correct or discipline them. If you've raised children, you've had issues with them, and the older they become, even into adulthood, the harder and more complex the issues are. God punished the sons for their sin, but Eli was punished for his lack of integrity and honor regarding his sons. Eli should have corrected them and removed them from their position. Interestingly, we have another from a surprising source in 1 Kings 1, verses 5 and 6. Adoniah, the son of Haggit, was beginning to claim that he would be king. To this end, he organized chariots and horsemen with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never in his life confronted him by asking why you're behaving this way. Moreover, he was a very handsome man. He was born next after Absalom. So in David's uh, end of his life, he's weak. He can barely get out of bed. We know that Solomon is to be the king after him, but David wouldn't correct his children. David had a weak spot. He couldn't bring himself to correct and discipline his children. Proverbs 13, 24 says, those who fail to correct their children hate them, but those who love them discipline them. David didn't intervene and discipline when Amnon raped Tamar, which led to a national revolt from Absalom, Tamar's brother. 